Welcome to the February 16th, 2023 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. Today, we'll discuss the benefits of early diagnosis and hematopoietic stem cell transplant in patients with hypomorphic RAG deficiency. Learn more about EBV-driven lymphoid neoplasms associated with pediatric ALL maintenance therapy and analyze the associations between clonal hematopoiesis and recurrent vascular events and death in patients with ischemic stroke. We first examined data in the blood article entitled Hypomorphic Rag Deficiency, Impact of Disease Burden on Survival and Thymic Recovery Argues for Early Diagnosis and HSCT by Katharina Schütz from Dresden University of Technology in Dresden, Germany, and colleagues. Loss of function mutations in RAG1 and RAG2 genes impede VDJ recombination and cause severe combined immunodeficiency, which is characterized by absent or severely reduced T and B cell counts and normal natural killer cell numbers. In contrast, individuals with hypomorphic mutations in RAG1 or RAG2 genes present as either Omen syndrome or atypical combined immunodeficiency, or CID, with a wide range of clinical phenotypes. Patients with atypical CID are prone to frequent and opportunistic infections, including human papillomavirus and herpesvirus infections, as well as a wide range of autoimmune manifestations. Patients with hypomorphic RAG variants are typically identified at newborn screening or by positive family history. Compared to patients with null RAG mutations with severe combined immunodeficiency, individuals with hypomorphic RAG variants are at a greater risk of graft rejection due to residual T-cell function. In addition, they often present with infections, autoimmunity, and or organ damage at the time of HSCT. Although HSCT may be curative, data on clinical and immunological outcomes of patients with hypomorphic RAG variants remains scarce. In the current study, the authors report on a worldwide cohort of 60 patients with hypomorphic RAG variants, their natural course of disease before HSCT, and complications and immunological outcomes following HSCT. The retrospective study included 60 patients who received their first transplant between 2004 and 2019 for a confirmed RAG1 or RAG2 deficiency and had more than 300 autologous T-cells at diagnosis. Patients with a RAG1, RAG2 deficiency, presenting as typical SCID or OMEN phenotype, were excluded from the study. Immune reconstitution was assessed at six different time points after HSCT. Measurement of VDJ recombination activity of RAG1 or RAG2 variants was performed using standard assays. The study's primary endpoints included overall survival and quality of immune reconstitution, with a focus on naive CD4-positive T-cells. Variables affecting survival and the risk factors for death were assessed using univariate and multivariable analyses. Of 60 patients included in the study, only 8 or 13%, were diagnosed by newborn screening or family history. 78% of study subjects experienced infections, 72% autoimmunity, and 18% granulomas pretransplant. These complications were often associated with organ damage. 
HSCT was performed at a median age of 3.4 years. 48% of patients received their transplant from matched unrelated donors. 22% received it from matched sibling donors and 30% from mismatched donors. Overall survival of the entire cohort one year after HSCT was 77.5% and 67.5% four years after HSCT. Infection was the main cause of death. All patients who were diagnosed by newborn screening or family history survived. Univariate analysis revealed that active infection, organ damage before HSCT, T-cell depletion of the graft, and transplant from a mismatched donor were predictive of worse outcomes, while T-cell depletion and organ damage remained significant factors in multivariable analysis. Acute and chronic graft-versus-host disease occurred at cumulative incidence rates of 35% and 22%, respectively, while the cumulative incidence of new-onset autoimmunity was 15%. Immune reconstitution, and in particular the CD4-positive T-cell recovery, was more robust in patients who did not have organ damage and were transplanted before 3.5 years. Based on these findings, the authors concluded that early transplantation should be recommended for patients with hypomorphic RAG variants. In an accompanying commentary, Lisa Forbes-Satter and Caridad Martinez from the Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas, Note that the findings from the study by Schutz and collaborators indicate that prevention of infection and subsequent end-organ damage is paramount to improved survival of patients with hypomorphic RAG variants who undergo HSCT. Additional findings suggest that lower disease burden, tighter control of autoimmune manifestations, early diagnosis, and HSCT may improve thymic recovery and enhance survival. Since conditioning regimens did not impact survival, but infections did, Forbes, Satter, and Martinez note that future studies should evaluate the use of serotherapy and the kinetics of immune recovery in relation to infection-related mortality. In addition, they believe that T-cell depletion and the use of mismatched family donors should be avoided due to their negative impact on survival. An attractive donor option could be an alternative donor option to avoid delayed transplantation and the risk of end-organ damage. In conclusion, for patients with complicated immune deficiency or dysregulation disorders, such as hypomorphic RAG deficiency, the selection of suitable donors and conditioning regimens remains critical, especially in the setting of pre-transplant infections. Next up, we'll discuss the findings from the blood article entitled EBV-Driven Lymphoid Neoplasms Associated with Pediatric ALL Maintenance Therapy by Sarah Elitzer from Tel Aviv University in Tel Aviv, Israel, and colleagues. The cure rate of childhood acute lymphoblastic leukemia, or ALL, is estimated to be above 90%. This high cure rate is largely attributed to a treatment regimen that includes intensive induction therapy followed by consolidation therapy and oral maintenance treatment with daily mercaptopurine and weekly methotrexate for two to three years after diagnosis. The development of a second malignancy after childhood ALL is rare, but it is often associated with significant morbidity and mortality. A certain proportion of secondary malignancies has been attributed to leukemia treatment. For example, a link has been established between cranial irradiation and central nervous system neoplasm. 
as well as between intensive epipodophilotoxin therapy and an elevated risk for myeloid leukemia. However, the etiology and optimal management strategies for most secondary malignancies remain unclear. The current study aimed to discuss the epidemiology and features of non-Hodgkin lymphomas, or NHLs, that occur following ALL diagnosis, as well as to assess the disease characteristics and treatment outcomes of immunodeficiency-associated lymphoid neoplasms that develop after ALL treatment. The study analyzed data of patients from 12 collaborative pediatric ALL trials conducted between 1980 and 2018 who developed NHL following ALL diagnosis. The trials were performed in the scope of the Ponte de Legno Childhood ALL Consortium. Collected data included clinical and biological characteristics of the patient's leukemia and second neoplasm, treatment details, and outcome. Cases were classified as mature B-cell lymphoproliferation, lymphoblastic lymphomas, peripheral T-cell lymphomas, follicular lymphomas, NHL without additional classification, or other lymphoid neoplasms. This classification was based on the WHO histopathology classification system. 85 patients developed NHL, with the dominant subtype being mature B-cell lymphoproliferation, occurring in 56 of 85 patients. Other malignancies included lymphoblastic lymphoma, peripheral T-cell lymphoma, or NHL not otherwise specified in a minority of patients. More than 80% of these cases occurred either during ALL maintenance therapy or within six months of maintenance therapy completion. Furthermore, 65% of patients who developed mature B-cell lymphoproliferation exhibited immunodeficiency with predominant evidence of Epstein-Barr virus-driven lymphoproliferation. Even though the majority of these patients presented with stage 3 or 4 disease, the outcome was better than expected with a 5-year overall survival of 67.4% and event-free survival of 66.6%. The 5-year cumulative risk of lymphoid neoplasm was 20.2% and underlying leukemia mortality was 12.4%. Interestingly, the multivariable analysis found that only the presence of hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis at diagnosis was associated with an increased risk of mortality with a hazard ratio of 7.32. Based on these findings, the authors concluded that the majority of post-ALL lymphoid neoplasms are associated with an immunodeficient state, which is likely precipitated by ALL maintenance therapy. This novel insight is important for the implementation of relevant diagnostic tests, early diagnosis, and optimal choice of therapy in pediatric ALL. In an accompanying commentary, Mitchell S. Cairo, from the New York Medical College in Valhalla, New York, notes that the study by Leitzer and collaborators suggests that ALL maintenance therapy results in an immunodeficient environment that facilitates the reactivation of the Epstein-Barr virus and associated oncogenesis. However, he adds that the authors were not able to confirm this hypothesis by investigating specific immunodeficiencies in each patient. Nevertheless, this observation is highly suggestive of a secondary immunodeficient state during routine maintenance treatment of childhood ALL that predisposes a small group of patients to Epstein-Barr virus reactivation. Cairo notes that future studies should assess whether some of the patients may have had a subtle primary immunodeficiency, which contributed to the development of both the primary ALL and secondary malignancies. 
Understanding the mechanisms that drive Epstein-Barr virus reactivation would be critical to managing this patient population moving forward. Once the underlying mechanisms or causative therapies are identified, rapid restoration of EBV-specific T-cell immunity will be critical to eradicating Epstein-Barr virus-associated lymphoproliferative disorders. Recent studies indicate that EBV-specific cytotoxic T-cell lymphocytes hold potential as a therapeutic option for patients with persistent EBV-associated infections and T-cell immunodeficiency. Additional questions that remain to be answered include how much maintenance ALL therapy is really needed and whether there are subsets of children with ALL who are genetically predisposed to developing immune deficiency-associated lymphoproliferative diseases. In the final part of today's podcast, we will review an article in Blood entitled Associations of Clonal Hematopoiesis with Recurrent Vascular Events and Death in Patients with Incident Ischemic Stroke by Christopher Arens from the Charité University Medical Center in Berlin, Germany, and colleagues. Clonal hematopoiesis is defined as the age-related acquisition of somatic mutations in hematopoietic stem cells. It affects approximately 20% to 30% of individuals over 60 years of age. Clonal hematopoiesis most often involves mutations in epigenetic regulatory genes, such as DNMT3A, TET2, and ASXL1. Other commonly mutated genes include those involved in the DNA damage response, namely PPM1D and P53, or hematopoietic cytokine signaling, such as JAK2V617F. Clonal hematopoiesis is strongly associated with increased all-cause mortality and increased risk of cardiovascular events. Moreover, it carries an approximately tenfold greater risk of developing hematologic malignancies. In studies to date, mutations in the TET2 gene in particular have been strongly associated with increased cardiovascular risk. This risk is largely attributed to the accelerated development of atherosclerosis, driven by an altered function of the NLRP3-IL1-beta inflammasome of mutated macrophages. Moreover, clonal hematopoiesis has been associated with rapid progression and unfavorable overall survival in ischemic and non-ischemic heart failure. However, there have been only limited reports on the association between clonal hematopoiesis and ischemic stroke. Several recently published studies, including a large case series, reported an increased risk of ischemic stroke in individuals with clonal hematopoiesis. This is in line with the established role of inflammation in the pathogenesis of stroke. The purpose of the current study was to assess the secondary cardiovascular risk in stroke patients with clonal hematopoiesis in a large prospective cohort. The prospective cohort with incident stroke Berlin, or PROCIS B, included 581 adult patients with a first-ever ischemic stroke treated at one of three stroke units of Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin. The patients received an extensive clinical examination within seven days of their stroke and had their blood collected for laboratory analysis. DNA was extracted from peripheral blood samples, and somatic variants with a variant allele frequency, or VAF, of 1% or greater were identified using targeted sequencing. The study's primary endpoint was a composite endpoint of recurrent stroke, myocardial infarction, and all-cause death within three years, based on an interview with the patient and family. 
Select inflammatory biomarkers, including high-sensitivity CRP, TNF-alpha, and interleukins IL-1-beta, IL-6, and IL-18, as well as markers of endothelial dysfunction, were assessed in baseline serum samples. The study identified 348 somatic mutations with a VAF of 1% or greater in 236 out of 581, or 41%, of analyzed patients. The authors further found that clonal hematopoiesis was significantly associated with large artery atherosclerotic stroke and white matter lesions. Furthermore, Patients with clonal hematopoiesis showed increased levels of pro-inflammatory cytokines, such as IL-6, interferon gamma, high-sensitivity CRP, and VCAM-1. A total of 97 cardiovascular events, 50 deaths, 42 strokes, and 5 myocardial infarctions occurred over a median follow-up of 36.2 months. Interestingly, patients who tested positive for clonal hematopoiesis had a higher risk of achieving the primary composite endpoint, with a hazard ratio of 1.55. This effect was more pronounced in those who harbored larger clones, with the highest risk observed in patients with clonal hematopoiesis of indeterminate potential and VAF greater than 10%. Specifically, patients with larger and TET2 or PPM1D mutated clones had an increased risk of recurrent vascular events and death. However, this risk was partially mitigated by a common germline variant of the IL-6 receptor, known as IL-6R PD358A. With a hazard ratio of 1.30, clone size remained an independent risk factor for recurrent vascular events and death in multivariable Cox regression analysis. The study authors concluded that these latest findings open up new avenues for preventive precision medicine approaches to target what appears to be a self-perpetuating cycle of inflammation and clonal expansion. In an accompanying commentary, Nan Wang and Alan Tall from Columbia University Irving Medical Center in New York note that the findings reported by Arens and collaborators support a causal role of clonal hematopoiesis in large artery atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease. Patients with clonal hematopoiesis showed an increase in recurrent vascular events, stroke, and death compared to those without clonal hematopoiesis. In the studies to date, increased myeloid cell inflammation and common variants have been associated with about a twofold increased risk of cardiovascular events. However, in the current study, TET1 and PPM1D variants, but not the most common DNMT3A variants, were associated with the composite endpoint. Wang and Tall note that this observation is corroborated by emerging evidence showing that different genetic variants have different mechanisms of action and effects on cardiovascular disease development. Interestingly, the study demonstrated the expansion of clonal hematopoiesis clones, as well as increased levels of inflammatory biomarkers in the majority of patients over time. However, the authors fall short of supplying specific evidence to back up the hypothesis of a self-perpetuating cycle of inflammation and clonal expansion. Wang and Tall conclude that further studies are needed to unravel the complex relationships between clonal hematopoiesis, inflammation, and cardiovascular disease. Until then, they suggest that testing of targeted anti-inflammatory interventions, such as IL-6 or IL-1-beta neutralizing antibodies, in patients with clonal hematopoiesis may prove beneficial. Listeners, 
CME questions for this article are available on the Blood website at cme.bloodjournal.org. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode of Blood Podcast. Thank you for listening.